Hello and welcome to the Dig a Little Deeper podcast. It is so good to have us jo- have us joining you. Have you joining us? <laughs> Vice versa. <laughs> Wherever you're joining in, yeah. it's great to be with you. And uh, hey, I'm really excited about this discussion we're going to have today. I guess about something that came up in a staff meeting, hey? mm, mm. as we were discussing, I guess, talking about the images of God and what do we do with some of the images of God that are a little bit more difficult to maybe reconcile with the picture of Jesus. So especially as we look in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Old Testament kind of images of God where he seems to be angry, uh, <laughs> things yeah, like that, yeah. a warmonger. Yeah. Um, and you've got this, I guess, um, you're left with how do, you, how do you read the Old Testament, I suppose, and, and people sometimes just unhitching the wagon and saying yeah. we're not going to read the Old Testament at all. Other people kind of being confused where there's a picture of, it's almost like there's, is there two gods? You yeah, know, yeah. did God have a heart change? Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what happened did, there? Did God, did God get saved did between God get Testaments? <laughs> <laughs> did God get saved? Um, but I think really, really good questions. It's like, what do we do when we see an image of God in the, in the Old Testament um, that maybe doesn't line up with Jesus? Mm. Um, yeah. So well, let's talk about that. That's, that's great. I mean, let's do that. I mean, there's many... I think one of the one of the mistakes we can make, and what I certainly did for many years, is you try and cobble together and sort of patch together all of these images through Scripture to make this picture of God. And you, but but there's just contradictions there. It's mm. like God is good and kind and loving, but He commands genocide, Exodus seventeen. Um, and I look even recently, I've been reading how people try and get around that particular passage um, and all great arguments, but none of them really hold up to me. It always ends up with God's character is a little bit untrustworthy. Like, gee, you know, he's loving and he's awesome while I'm doing what I'm told, but he'll turn around and blast me if I make him, you know. I remember that. And I remember it's like, it just becomes difficult, right? When you're trying to discuss that and, or, or someone's trying to explain why, but it always comes back to, yeah, God still seems to be killing yeah, people. Cranky, uh, yeah. commanding you to kill them and all of that. And um, look, there's there's always a lot going on. That's something we've said again and again. Whenever you read stuff that's confusing or difficult or whatever, you've always got to say to yourself, there's got to be more to this. There's yeah. got to be more than meets the eye or more that more that's going on. There's got to be backstory. Um, or deeper understanding because, you know, most of the time it is there to be sought out, it is there to be found and it does clarify and you can actually reconcile. Mm. But I I think one of the mistakes we can make is to just try and lift images out literally, paste them together and sort of go, here's God and it's like this stuck together caricature of God Mm. um, where you can't really trust his heart does he really love me? You know, New Testament says, for God so loved the world. Well, in the Old Testament, he's saying kill some of the world. Yeah, so yeah. you can never really reconcile that um, if you just look at it literally. If you don't allow um, for things like totally different epochs of time. Mm. I mean, you know, if you say, let's go back to the 1950s and look at how life was in Australia or, you know, America or whatever, in the 1950s. Well, life today is unrecognisable. Mm, yeah. You know, you go back 70 years, 
unrecognisable. Mm. How about going back three and a half thousand? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. okay, well, you've got to allow for that. You've got to allow for that for different mindsets, different social mores, for different uh, pressures that people face, different motivators for people. All of those things come into it. And scripture didn't just drop magically out of heaven. It's mm. not the magic book that God wrote. It's, it's human beings, very real people in, in a very real season of their lives and mm. a very real season of the world and world history who are writing their experiences of how God works in their particular situation. Yeah, and I guess we've got to be careful of, you know, yes, different times, but same God. And I think that's where the confusion can sometimes come in. We're not talking about different times, different God. Yeah, different no, times, that's right. Same God. Yeah. So what do we do with that kind of stuff? Well, I think one of the, one of the biggest keys that can help us is understanding the progressive nature of Scripture. You know, there's an arc to the story. There's a trajectory. It's going somewhere. It's not a static record day by day of who God is. Mm. It's not not like God's journal. No, it's not. He's like, I'll sit down and write another page. But what it is, it's kind of like man's journal and Mm. not just one of them, you know, 40 plus authors. Mm. It's their journal of their ongoing revelation. And so uh, what you have is a story that is traveling fragment by fragment, like people seeing a facet of the diamond Mm. and then interpreting what that meant. And the only way they could, the only way we could, if we were writing the Bible right now, Mm. if we were writing Acts chapter 29, you know, then it would have to come through our language. Mm. It would have to come through the idioms of our society and it would certainly come through our mindset and who we perceive we need God to be yeah. right now. That is what people do and that is what you see right through the whole arc of Scripture. Yeah, and I guess who we need God to be, but I guess back then as well with no picture, um, maybe also who we're experiencing God to be. Like we've yeah, been through yeah. this, yeah. that must mean God is like this. That's exactly we've right. We've won this battle, that yeah. must mean that God you know, is was leading us into battle, That those kind of yeah. images, I suppose. Well, again, you're a tribal people threatened by the tribe over the hill. They have a God they worship that they believe is going to give them victory in battle. You have a God that led you out of being a slave. And so it's not too hard to yeah. draw the line between victory in battle and God gave me that victory in mm-hmm. battle, even... God's telling us to kill everyone because that's the done thing Mm. in the ancient Near East. And I'm not trying to put words in the author's mouths, and I know that this is really controversial. But, again, I'm trying to help us get a bit of a picture of where this is headed. See, the issue is is that people in a particular situation – do have a very genuine, authentic revelation of God. So don't for a moment make me – I'm not saying they didn't get God right. Yeah. But what we've got to understand is it's a partial image. Mm. It's a fragment. That's all it is. And so, you know, if we do go back to, say, the Exodus passage, I'm pretty sure I've got that right. I think it's Exodus 17. And it's uh, Moses and uh, the Amalekites. Mm. And Joshua's down in the valley fighting. And Moses is uh, up on the hill holding his staff up. And while he's holding the staff up, they're winning the battle. And when he gets tired, they begin to lose. The battle goes the other way. And so Joshua, uh, sorry, uh, I think it was Aaron, Aaron and her, 
uh, they get beside him, lift up his arms, and Israel prevails on the battlefield. Mm. And um, uh, and out of that, it's the scripture says that uh, Moses built an altar to the Lord, and he called the altar, which is interesting, mm. Jehovah Nissi. Now, I do understand that that is kind of like calling God Jehovah Nissi, but it is still one step away. He called the altar Jehovah Nissi. It was like a memorial, mm. and that word has been interpreted different ways. The way it's interpreted in our English Bible is the Lord our banner. Okay, so literally while... Which, which in English, to be honest, nowadays doesn't make that much sense. doesn't make either. much sense, but... <laughs> we you don't know, get banners going around. No, no. I mean, we use, we use electronic comms in warfare now, but back then, banners were your, your warfare standard. They were to intimidate your enemy. You know, mm. that's why you see the Roman ones, they've got goat skulls on them, you know, all kinds of things, eagles, blah, blah, blah. And so um, Moses paints God out of his imagination into that image in a sense. Now, you know, let's just park that there. Mm. And every other image in the Old Testament where you can go, golly, like is God a warrior? Is God a, is he into killing people? Is he into steamrolling, you know, my enemies on the battlefield, slaughter everyone? Um, remember the stories going somewhere. You've just, again, when you're reading ancient writers, You've got to come back down to the final word. Mm. If you want to go to the end of the book, the final word is Jesus. Yeah. If you want to know what the whole book is about, you've got to go to the end of the story. Yeah. You know, like most authors build a story and elements of this and they introduce characters and and then as it gets the book winds up and gets to the end, it all starts to make sense and all starts to come together and it generally culminates with a very decisive conclusion mm. that was in the author's mind from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at scripture like that, you know, written over, uh, you know, 1,500 years, uh, 44, I think, authors, 66 books, uh, that's what's happening. You're getting characters introduced or facets of God introduced, mm. uh, how we're to live introduced, different thoughts, different attitudes, all of this stuff comes along this journey until you get to the final word. Mm. And, you know, we know that Jesus came. We know why Jesus came. Mm. We think we do. You know, Jesus came to take our sin on himself so we could be reconciled to God and and we have a relationship with him. And by the way, God was not our enemy. Scripture says very clearly yeah. we were God's enemy, mm. that we were reconciled to God. God mm. did not need to be reconciled to us. Yeah. We were the angry ones. Yes, but that's not the only reason. Yeah. And I'm not even sure it's the only primary reason. Mm. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Mm. So we've got these stilted images, this mosaic of who we think God is tracking through history. And then we have Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah, which is huge. It's massive. You yeah. know, that is just not one of Jesus' pithy statements. Mm. That is a massive theological, you, you could spend your life studying right there and it'd probably be the best study we could do. Mm. We send, seem to study everything else except the image of God in Christ and uh, well, that's not true, but you know, as as no, it's definitely. I know, as a pastor, a garden variety local church pastor, 
you've just got so many things you're trying to juggle, even mm. theologically, and helping people with and trying to learn yourself. Well, I, I think the issue is that Jesus just becomes another image of God. That's so does God look big like, problem. Does God look like Jesus? Absolutely. Big but problem. But does he look like this? Abs- like, yeah. So you end up with you've got a lot of different images yeah. of God rather than no. that Jesus looks, God looks exactly like Jesus. That's it. And all of these other images then... Mm-hmm. Have to fit into Jesus. I That's suppose. it. We, you know, what we're talking about now is, I think, the next most helpful key, and ultimately, what we've got to do, and that is have a Christotelic or Christocentric reading of Scripture. Mm. In other words, all that Scripture was pointing to one person. Yeah, yeah. And so, their fragments uh, is there truth in those fragments? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Moses saw. Uh, an image of God, and and he, God was who He needed Him to be. Mm-hmm. He met met Moses where he was at. I have an enemy. I have a problem. I've got people to lead. The enemy's threatening to crush us. God, I've got to rely on you. They win the battle. God, you've come through. You are our banner. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but that plus you know all the other images, Jehovah Jireh, El Shaddai. You know you go through all the names of God where people named God mm. for the attribute they saw in Him in the moment. It all culminates in Christ, and yeah. therefore, Christ becomes our hermeneutic key or our way to interpret all of Scripture. Yeah, this is why people get tempted to unhitch the Old Testament. It's like oh, it's just too difficult. Now, in one sense, that's probably safe. You know, I mean, ultimately, if you've got Jesus, you have got everything. But <laughs> better the old, than unhitching the New Testament. That's right. <laughs> the Old Testament is so rich in instruction. It's well been said that the Old Testament is a new, new Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So, mm. uh, but, but I think that's a bit too broad. I actually think Jesus is the key to unlocking all yeah, of Scripture. Yeah. And uh, and some writers call this the Emmaus way of interpreting Scripture. So, you know, on the road to Emmaus, two disciples are walking with Jesus. He hasn't been revealed to them. He's in his resurrected state. They're walking down the road and um, and he sort of baits them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what's been going on in Jerusalem. Oh, you, you've been living under a rock, you know. There was this man called Jesus and all these things happened and we hoped he was the Messiah, but alas, he's dead. That was kind mm-hmm. of the conversation. And then Jesus rebukes them and says, oh, you, you foolish and dull-hearted people, you know. And then he opens a scripture and it says, and beginning there, he opens all the scripture, all things that are said concerning him. So basically, Which is interesting though, because they're not holding a New Testament. No, they're, they're not holding. No, they're not holding great. the book yeah. of Mark, and being, he's like, see, see in Mark where it talks about me. There I am. It, it's talking about he's got, yeah. well, I suppose, what the Torah or something, the, some part of the Old Testament. Yeah, it would have been portions of, of of Old Testament scripture, and and so and saying, look, there I am yeah. in Old Testament. And, and look, there might not have even been a physical copy. I mean, he might have just started quoting. Yeah, and yeah. started going like, doesn't Isaiah say this? And doesn't and what did Moses mean when he said that? Because mm. uh, he often did that with the Pharisees. You know, they didn't have. He, he might not have had a scroll open, but they'd pose a difficult question, and he'd just answer yeah. straight from Scripture. And so, um, uh, where, so, where were we at with that? I got so, a little bit. Yeah, no, well, I guess we're just the, the, the Emmaus way of reading it. So, yeah, so we Christ. come we come back to Jesus is your lens. Mm. Jesus said, "If you've seen me." You've seen the Father. And it wasn't a new thing. God had always been exactly like Jesus. Yeah. So Jehovah Nissi (laughs) 
was exactly like Jesus, yeah. but mo- maybe Moses only caught a facet of that nature of his character. Well, let's come back to those because I think that's a good point. And I think some of them we can see really clearly, right? Like Jehovah Rapha, God, you know, God, God who's who healing heals. me. Yeah, yeah. You see that in Jesus so easily. Obviously, Jesus we do. is out you there healing people. You see Isaiah 53 and you pull that across. Peter pulls that across into his letter, 2 Peter 2.24, by the stripes on his back we're healed. So, you know, there you go. That is a great hermeneutic. That's mm. what they've done. They've interpreted the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus yeah. through the lens of Christ. And so uh, if you go back to... And I guess if we just keep just for one more moment, but is it Jehovah Jireh is the Lord who provides? Yep. And you see Jesus with feeding the 5,000, you know, in, yeah. in that sense even just... In a literal fit, physical in a literal sense. Physical, yeah, yeah. Practical way. But even more than that, if you go Jehovah Jireh or El Shaddai, the, the uh, my all-sufficient one, uh, you you come to the book of Hebrews mm. and the whole book of Hebrews is wrapped around. We have a superior high priest. We have a superior sacrifice. Yeah. He died once for all. Yeah, he didn't, yeah. it, you know, so talk about the all sufficient one. Uh, he's not like we have to make an offering every year and that priest will die and we need a new high priest. It's like, nah, Jesus, everything culminates in Christ. He has transcended all of it, mm. um, and so too the image of God. Finally, we see not this pasted-together mosaic, but when we look back to the Old Testament and we look at it through the lens of Christ, all of a sudden Jesus becomes obvious in these passages yeah, yeah. and we realise that oh, only the tip of the iceberg was showing. Mm. And it was like um, the tip of the iceberg jutting out of the ocean of someone's circumstances. And it was beautiful, you know, uh, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. So how do you look at that then and interpret it through Christ? Well, there's a couple of, probably a couple of pictures I get anyway when I look at that story. Obviously the banner thing, God is your banner, God is over you, God, you could put it this way, God is your identity. Mm. That's what they were doing. God has identified with us. Um, and unfortunately for them, it was like he's identified with us, but not with you. It's the whole. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's where it was not the full. Yeah, complete yeah. Picture. It's the whole God is, God is, uh, what did we say the other night? Not God is in control. God is. Uh, is for me? God is on my side. Oh, God is yeah. on my side, yeah. So the God is on my side <laughs> image. But if you boil that down to essence, essence is identity. Mm. Jehovah is our identity. He is on our banner. He's on, he is painted over our lives. And then the second thing there is God scattered our enemies. God defeated our enemies. So if you look at that through the lens of Christ and who he is, does Jesus want to come into our lives and scatter and defeat our enemies? Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How many scriptures do you want? Yeah. You know, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, Ten mm. uh, John 10, 10. So there's plenty of images for that. So, and, and I think also intuitively, you know, if you've been a believer for a while, you've probably already interpreted it that way. Mm. When you read Old Testament stories, if you're thinking, yeah, God, well, my neighbor's got a barking dog and I want you to kill him. Mm. If you're thinking that, you really need to go back to church yeah, or, yeah. or go to a different one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. who taught you that. Um, I think we've, as we read the Old Testament. But, but can I just say, I've heard that kind of stuff recently. It's like yeah. people who set themselves up against me, I, 
setting themselves up against me and I'm obviously God's child, they're going to get it. I've, oh, yeah. I've heard that from people. I know. And and because it, they're standing up against and it's like, no, they were doing their job. It's tribal and warlike <laughs> and yeah. whatnot. And people would go, oh, but hang on, the Bible's inspired. If you go back to Moses, he didn't get anything wrong. And it's like, hang on a sec, it came through his humanity. Yeah, yeah. And there's got to be allowances for that. There's, there's human stuff everywhere in the scripture. And I mean, I think it would be hard to get it wrong <clears> when you look at scriptures like our struggles not with flesh and blood. Um, yeah. You know, our struggle is with what, what's this? Uh, yeah, our principalities and powers and rulers of spiritual wickedness and high places or whatever version you read. But you know, if you if you come back to we in, we intuitively mm. myself as a young Christian, I used to love worshiping with the Psalms. You know, I'd just get my guitar and I'd sing a couple of choruses and then I'd just walk around and just quote the Psalms and I'd see myself in the Psalms. But then mm. you'd hit these difficult Psalms about breaking the teeth of your enemies and all the rest. Yeah. I, I intuitively very early on perceive that to be spiritual for me. Mm. Perceive to apply it with a spiritual reading rather than a literal reading. Yeah. Um, because that's how you end up with really crazy people doing really bad things in the name of Jesus when you go literal on that stuff. And, um, and so uh, coming back to scatter your enemies, can you see that in Christ? Absolutely. Does he want to kill people? No. He died to save people. Yeah. But he does want you to walk in victory. He does want to see the kingdom advance for worldly structures that scatter and destroy and fragment people's lives to come tumbling down Mm. and for the kingdom of God to be manifest in our hearts where wholeness and beauty flows and people begin to live in their original vocation of reflecting the image of God. Mm. And so there you go. And that's why we can say, uh, what would Jesus do? It's perfect theology. Yeah. Yeah. Reflect Jesus and you can't go far wrong. Yeah. Perfect theology. You will be children of your father if you reflect Jesus. Yeah. Your father in heaven I'm talking about. So um, that's one part of it. What, what do we do with the banner? What do we do with the warlike banner? Mm. Our identity is in our tribal warrior God. Um, I think it's really easy to see again um, because our identity is in Christ. He is our identity. Mm. So his. He is our banner, you know. Um, I love passages like Colossians three three, um, and just off the top of my head, you know, for our lives are hidden in God in Christ, you know. So literally, Jesus has become our identity. I mean, our society on every level is struggling with identity issues. Mm, yeah. For the Christian, your identity is Christ. Yeah, it's not male, female. It's not gender. It's it's nothing on that gender scope. Mm. It's actually about Jesus. Yeah. It's nothing on the haves and haves not materialism scope. Yeah, it's, it's Korea, nothing. Not Korea. No, it's nothing on the Hebrew or Greek yeah. thing. It's not. It's got nothing to do with race or that cultural stuff. It's find yourself in Christ, and He will begin to redeem all things and bring things back to original created intent. And so, uh, Jehovah Nissi, can I see Christ there? Absolutely, and it's beautiful. Yeah. When God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he looks at you. He doesn't see your faults, your failures, the mm. stuff that we generally see about ourselves when we get in the presence of God. I mean, come on. Have you ever been there? You go to worship and it's like all you can think about is how you messed up yesterday. Yeah. And so 
we look at ourselves and we see our faults and failings, God looks at us and sees the perfect image of Christ formed in us. Mm. And so it's a beautiful picture. The Lord, my banner, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you see it in Christ. So Moses saw it as a fragment. You know, one of the uh, one of the more recent uh, songs that had been written, church songs, Glimmer in the Dust. And it's like a lot of people struggle with those lyrics. It's a bit like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think that's exactly what it means. That in the dust of human experience and brokenness, all of a sudden something shines through. Mm. It's like when you're walking down the street, if you see something shiny and you're, you're naturally your eyes drawn to it and you want to stoop down and pick it up. Yeah. And it could be a shiny five-cent piece or it could be a, a fake jewel that's fallen out of a piece of jewellery, but it attracts your eye. Mm. And um, and that's what you see in the Jehovah Nissi story. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of ancient stuff going on there. But the one thing that you can say is absolutely clear and undisputably true is Moses' revelation that yeah. the Lord is our banner. And how do we know that? Because you see it in Jesus. Yeah, very good. And if we just applied those lenses mm. to everything we're reading in Scripture, Old Testament and New. Yeah. Is this consistent with the character and nature of Christ? Is this who he is? Mm. Um, and when we're the, particularly the more ancient images, the, the more ancient the image, um, you know, the more it is a fragment. Mm. Yeah. It's only just a little bit yeah. of God. But is it authentic? Yes. Yeah. It's just not the whole story. It's not the That's whole all. picture. Yeah. 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 And and some things in scripture in the Old Testament they were they they're not wrong they were then yeah I think that's a great point yeah you know they're not wrong they were just then mm. so you know we've talked about it um, an eye for an eye from tooth for a tooth I don't think we have on the podcast anyway we've talked about it in training or whatever but an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that's a very difficult law mm. in twenty twenty two when it was given that the punishment should fit the crime when people were used to, hey, you threw a stick, poke my son's eye out, I'm going to come and burn your family alive in your house tonight. Mm. That law was the best law that had ever been introduced. Yeah. And we still use it in common law to this day. The punishment should fit the crime. Yeah. That's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is. Mm. It's not a vengeful thing. It is not a retaliatory thing. Mm. It is actually putting a lid on violence. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, is it right now? Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's a bit outdated. It, it was then. Mm. It's not necessarily now. But the principle is still now. So wouldn't, yeah. should we pick, you know, poke someone's eye out? Uh, or Jesus maybe comes to turn the other cheek. You know? Yeah, 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 maybe not. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been, yeah, and you look at it through Jesus, there you go. Yeah. There's got to be forgiveness and there's got to be restoration. But when that law was given, mm. it wasn't the whole story. But it was the best story so far yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in, in human history, really. It's mm. the same with laws on slavery in the Old Testament. There was restrictions on slavery. That's the revelation. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, the Bible condones slavery. No, 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 no. It was actually the f introducing the first limitations yeah, on how you could treat rights. another yeah, human. Yeah. So it's early human rights. Mm. That's what it actually is, even though it's it seems archaic and terrible now, in the time it was written, it was really pertinent. And then we look back through the lens of Christ and you realise Jesus came to set every slave free. 
Mm. There's freedom. Paul says there's freedom in Christ. Even if you are literally a physical slave, you can still be free on the inside. And so, um, yeah, Jesus is beautiful all the way through. And when he is our lens looking from the end of the story, knowing the end of the story, Mm. interprets the beginning. Yeah. And that's just how a lot of books are read. When you read great books, I, I love Lee Childs as an author. I love his Jack Reacher series. But it's like a lot of stuff only becomes, it only makes sense towards the end. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in his books. He's a brilliant writer. And you're thinking, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. And then you get to the end and you go, oh, golly, it, it all makes sense now. It's, it's almost a little bit like a cookbook, right? And as if you stopped on page three. <laughs> yeah. And it's like all we've got is some flour and eggs mushed up together. And it's like that was never meant to be the complete. No, no. You're not meant to stop there. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you're stop. you meant to yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. And you get to the end and, oh, it's a beautiful it's a yeah. beautiful cake. But with a cookbook, obviously, you start with what do we want to create? Yeah. We want to create a cake. Yeah. What are the ingredients to it? I guess... God in some ways is the same. What is it going to look like? It's going to look like Jesus. Yeah. And is there an element of that in there? Of course. There's an element yeah. of he's my provider and he's my healer and mm. um, and whatever. He, he's a protector. He's, he's jealous. Yeah. Um, but it all comes together to create Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we see, okay, this is how it should be outworked. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just hope that's been helpful to people, you know, even the analogy of... Um, thinking about it because it was, you know, again, it was an off, offhand sort of comment, but the, you know, the facet of the diamond that Moses saw and other writers see all through the Old Testament, it is literally like the tip of an iceberg. Mm. Christ is the iceberg, but the tip of the iceberg poking up in the sea of human brokenness mm. that that has been our world since the fall. And so... There's these flashes of brilliance where God is seen just for a moment, mm. um, but then, and this is this is the power of the incarnation that we probably just don't talk enough about. That Christ God became flesh, yeah, and dwelt among us, mm. and we beheld Him, the image of the only Son of God. And so, we actually, for the first time, were able to handle and see, yeah, and experience, and actually know who God was. In fullness, even though he'd emptied himself, even though he'd limited his attributes, mm. um, he never ceased to be God, fully God, fully human. And we were able to see God absolutely clearly for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And that's why Jesus is so wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, hey, hopefully some great keys there for you. Hopefully that helps you read the Old Testament yeah. and live your life today. Don't be afraid of the Old Testament. Don't be afraid um, of the Old Testament. But also mm. I think too, just probably an important note, don't feel um, guilty if you don't understand things. Yeah. I remember feeling bad like I have to push through and I have to keep reading and I have to, you know, sometimes I think it was just God prodding me to get back to reading about Jesus because yep. I was getting too bogged down yeah. in other things, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, So hopefully that's life-giving for you. But we'd love to hear your thoughts, so make sure you get in contact with us. Send us a a message, DM us, slide in our DMs, uh, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And, hey, if this content's helpful and you're enjoying it, why don't you consider rating it five stars Mm. and uh, giving it a share on your social media. God bless everyone. Hey, every... (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. Hey, everyone, hope you're good. It's Lucy here. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked it. If you absolutely loved it, leave a rating or review. You know, that five stars. Yes. Um, Join us next week as we discuss the good news versus moral alignment. Funky. And in the meantime, you can check out the New Hope podcast for preaching from Chris and Levi, or you can go and binge Netflix, I don't know, to pass the time. Thanks again. See ya. Guys, we got it.